Good afternoon, lady and gentlemen. Welcome to the Hooniverse podcast. This is episode 21, which means our little show has finally reached the legal drinking age. No more fake IDs for us. I'm joined by my co-host, Blake, Mm -hmm. 240Z Wrong. Blake, how are you today? I'm doing great. Great. That's always great. But far more importantly than Blake is today's (laughs) guest. I'd like to welcome Gail Banks to our podcast. Mr. Banks, it's a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it, you are a much nicer addition to the couch than Blake. No offense, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I'm used to it. Uh, so we're going to kick this Is thing. this a couch gag? Is that what we're doing? Uh, well, here? there's a lot of couch gags that we try to do. Um, a lot of intro gags. Yeah, most of the jokes are at Blake's expense, <laughs> right. though. Unfortunately or fortunately. It's because you're racist. Sorry, Blake. Uh, let's kick this thing off like we always do by chatting about new cars first, and then we'll wind our way to old cars because old cars are cooler cars. Um, first up, I wanted to talk about the new Corvette, the C7, because all of the first drive reviews are coming in. Everyone's driven it. word yeah. on the street is that it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, Auto Week's own Mac Morrison drove it, and he said it handled even better than you would think it would. Honestly, it's, it's smaller, it's lighter, it's got, you know, the Z51 performance package with the uh, magnetic shocks, and... Um, he he drives a Cayman and he would honestly he told us he would honestly trade in his Cayman for it if it didn't wow. come down to like personal preference. You I think guess he's a Porsche snob? They're going to scalp for those. What's that? Are the dealers going to scalp? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the first ones do. I know a, a close friend of mine is actually getting one of. Um, I'm trying to think of the dealership group out of North Carolina, uh, Hendrix. Yeah, uh, okay. he's getting one of Hendrix. Like he's getting Hendrix 27th car, and he's getting it at at normal price. I know wow. that, but that's because that's Hendrix a, that's knows. That's a favor. Hen- yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, Hendrix knows he's going to buy more cars from him, um, so there's that. I wouldn't be surprised if a random guy walking in the street, though, could be a different story, mm-hmm. especially because the first run are some kind of getting some kind of special limited edition badging. Yes. But this is the crazy thing about this car is I love that they brought the Stingray name back, but it's the base, it's the entry-level car, and it's running from 0 to 60 in around four seconds. I think Motor Trend might have done 3.8 with a one-foot rollout, which I never understood why. I mean, I know why, but just run it from a stop to 60. Give us that time. That's Nature. like – yeah. God doesn't give you a one-foot rollout. <laughs> no, no one gives I mean, you one. You don't get that? that. Right. You don't get, <laughs> what is that? The, at the drag strip, it doesn't go uh, red, yellow, green-ish. Yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> it's um, not like you're going to start at 50 miles an hour, go to 60, and be like, this car hits 60 in 0.3 seconds. Right. I mean, to me, it's it's either you stab it from an idle or you torque break it. Right. But there's no one-foot rollout. No. I, I totally where, agree. Where does that come That's from? That's cheating. I don't know why. They, there's, a, there's a whole reasoning behind well, it. Well, you've overcome the initial inertia of the of the vehicle. Right. right. But still, you we all, I want to know little literal zero to 60 exactly. miles an hour. But the thing that's crazy, it's the entry-level car, and it's hitting right at four seconds. So when the Z06 comes out, it's going to be insane. It's probably going to yeah. be closer to three seconds flat. Oh, yeah. And that's that's that. that's crazy territory. GTR, mm-hmm. Veyron. GTR's 2.7. What's that? Yeah. GTR is what, 2.7? Yeah, the new, the new yeah. 911 is like 2.9 right. or something like that. So that's this thing's going to be insane. It's that that... that at that price point, it's an, an insane deal for the power. Yeah. I think fully loaded, you can get one with the Z51 and the magnetic shocks for what fifty-seven grand. That's crazy. Which is a steal. It yeah. is insanely good. That's, That's why good. they're going to scalp. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> they can afford to. Speaking of engine stuff, uh, moving on to the next bit of news, uh, it recently came out that Aston Martin and AMG teamed up to create what they're calling a quote technical partnership. Basically. Aston Martin is going to get the engineering goodies, and AMG gets a 5% non-voting stake in Aston Martin. Hmm. I already think Aston Martin makes pretty cool engines. Of course, AMG builds wild 
European muscle car engines. Uh, this could work out pretty well for both sides. AMG could make a few bucks off Aston Martin, and then Aston Martin could have just even better engines. Who, who is Aston Martin's mothership? Um, I think they're off on their own planet No, they're right owned now. by some, like, Malaysian conglomerate oh, or something. Oh, are they? Or some oh, Indian okay. conglomerate. Yeah, they're okay. owned by an Indian conglomerate. Okay. Just, right. just curious. Yeah. yeah. That, well, are they okay. buying Daimler engines for their cars? I, they, not the right deal? now, no. They still have hand-built Aston Martin uh, uh-huh. motors that are stamped with the name of the guy on the end of the line who right. put it all together. But the basic design of the engine is uniquely theirs? Yeah, it's their six-liter that they've had for uh, years now. Okay. So it's probably yeah. getting long in the tooth mm-hmm. is the problem. And they're ready. I mean, they're still they, – they do g- different generations of the motor, get more power out of it by probably changing intake manifolds and stuff like that mm-hmm. and they're they sound wonderful especially on liftoff those things sound so good but you said it's a 12 yeah yep v12 it's, it's hard to make one of those sound bad that's true uh though you have to work at that the w12 that i just had which we mentioned in the last podcast that i drove to your office recently yes. that thing sounded good but it sounds nowhere near as good as a v12 yeah the firing order is it's all about the firing order yeah yeah and oddly, V12s are a bunch of firing. <laughs> There's orders. a whole lot of yeah. firing to go <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this could be interesting because Aston Martin makes beautiful sports cars, expensive stuff, and maybe AMG could take them to a new level of performance. And you've mm-hmm. driven Aston Martins, you know, recently. Not to brag. Ooh, no, that's a, yeah. no, very famous automotive. <laughs> you know, the only here, thing I don't like about an Aston Martin. Yeah, is I don't fit in one. Ah. <laughs> so, honestly. You just got to force yourself in there. Because <laughs> a V12 Vantage is just something everyone should get to well, experience. I, I, yep. I was going to say, um, doesn't, isn't, how are the Aston Martin transmissions? The manual gearboxes are fine. Okay. The, the sport shift that's in the V8 Vantage is not great. Right. Because it's an automated manual with... There's a clutch still in there, even though you don't have to work it, so you can mm-hmm. feel it between shifts. And, I, and if I'm using paddles, I don't want to feel that. I want it to be instant. It's not that quick. I haven't read the. There's. I, I haven't driven the newest one. It's called Sport Shift Three, and it's on the updated V12 Vantage, and it's supposed to be race car derived. It's supposed to be lightning quick, so mm-hmm. I'll withhold until that. The transmission I drove in the Rapide S wasn't bad though. It, it was decent on a racetrack, and I mean nobody's taking their Rapide, their four door Aston Martin, on a racetrack anyway. But the car, despite being a porker, you know, curb weight wise. Actually felt great on a racetrack, surprisingly, because it's got new adaptive damping suspension modes, and, and there was a lot of stuff going on. So maybe their transmissions are getting better. I'm really excited to see the newest transmission. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe that's what AMG is going to come in and help out That with. would actually be awesome. Yeah. Because Mercedes gearboxes work well, because yes. they have to handle all that AMG torque. Yes. Um, so next on my list is uh, I wanted to talk about Infinity. And Infinity just priced out their new slate of Q machines. And I don't want to talk about the pricing. Not wrap my All I want to talk about is how ridiculous their new naming scheme is. I don't know if you're familiar, Gail. Infinity is changing the model name for all of their cars to Q and then a number. QX for the trucks. So they used to be like you get the M35, you get the G37, you get the, you get the FX, you get the EX. Now it's either Q or QX. So to run so through the list, weird. to run through the list real quick for you, the Q50 becomes the G37 sedan. You mean the other way around? But what's that? You mean the other way around? No, no. Q50 is G37 sedan. Right. Yeah. So 
Sorry, G37, you're right. Yes. It becomes the Q50. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's confusing already. Yeah. The G37 becomes the Q50, but they're going to sell them alongside each other for the first year as a G37 and a Q50. Moving on, the GQ Coupe and Convertible, which aren't yet based on the new Q50, become the Q60. The EX37 becomes the QX50. The JX35 becomes the QX60. The FX50 becomes the QX70. And the QX56 becomes the QX80. I think I've developed- I, just, I just got a nosebleed. Yes. Yeah. So imagine walking in there. I mean, I feel I I don't like this because the G Coupe and Sedan are almost their own brand. The FX is almost its own brand within Infinity because they've developed a following. The FX50 is a fun SUV crossover. The G Coupe and Sedan are fun. They've been around for two generations, cars. right? They've had multiple generations. So I mean, I know there's their marketing and their research says we're doing this to harken back to the idea of their old flagship Q45 of the mm. fact that it used to build a Q45 and now they don't. When's the last time you've <laughs> yeah. seen? Yeah. When's the last time you've seen a Q45 even on the road? I saw one yesterday. Really? Well, thanks for defeating my argument. He had a sighting. Screw you, Jeff. It's a sighting. Yeah. (laughs) But does that not sound insane, this naming structure? Uh, I think they're going after – I think – doesn't – didn't they cite Volvo as having a similar pattern? Like you have the S and then you have the Vs for the wagons. Yeah, but Volvo has been doing it for years. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also the JX came out, what, last year and they already changed the name on it? It's like linking with the Zephyr and then the next year they change it to the MKZ for no particular reason. There's a whole other – I mean, you know – Anybody listening to this? Do they podcast? even use the name Lincoln anymore? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> what is they dropped out? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm already biased. If, as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I really don't like uh, alphanumeric naming. Yeah. I miss names like Firebird and and you know Mustang. I mean, Mustang's still here. Coupe de Ville. Stuff like that sounds awesome. I miss yeah. mm-hmm. names. Think, get creative. There's plenty of like Greek and Roman goddesses that we could still name cars there's after. Plenty of obscure there's, cities in Spain you can name them after. Yeah, exactly. yeah there's that. <laughs> there you go. Like, the Cadillac Malaga. Off-road trails. And that places in the desert. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Places in the desert. Yeah. Exactly. Alaska. Yeah. yeah. There are so many na- – just make up – just throw num- uh, a Scrabble bag at the wall and I'd be happier – like uh, you know the Tiguan and the and the the Pagani Huayra, which is which is the sound you make when you floor a Huayra and your your spleen goes uh, into your yeah, back. Exactly. That's a that's a ridiculous name, and I still love Maybe it. Maybe it's right. the food. So so <laughs> I have a side of Huayra. To simplify all of this, yes. A buddy of mine had a piston company called Ross Pistons. It's still around. Uh, he's retired though, and I asked him, "You and your partner, neither one of you is named Ross. How did you name this company?" He says. I shut my eyes, I opened the phone book, and stuck my finger on it, and it was Ross. <laughs> I said, clever. Yes. That, to me, is still better it's than way better. Q, uh, Q numbers. You could have told yeah, me that he was know? a massive fan of the show Friends, and I would have been like, that's a, that's a better name than the Piston Company. Uh, David Schwimmer Pistons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would have been happier with that. Uh, moving on to something more interesting than Infinity's naming scheme, though. Finally... The Acura NSX prototype is hitting the track. It's slated to go to mid-Ohio on August 4th, and they're going to drive it. You know, it's, it's been seen in uh, – Tony Stark has driven it in an Iron Man right. movie briefly. A car can't go over 10 miles an hour or something like that. It's based on the first NSX too, which is funny. Well, that's what was underneath it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we're going to see this mid-mounted V6 combined with a, a trio of electric motors – uh, all-wheel drive and a dual-clutch transmission finally hit the track in mm-hmm. mid-Ohio. I'm excited because I and missed the it's old It's mid-Ohio because they're going to build up in Marysville. Yes, it's built in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't wait we to pride. drive this car. Do you have any experience with the old NSX by chance? I don't know if you've ever got to drive one. Uh, that's probably another car that's hard to squeeze into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, occasionally, somebody from that company 
who, who remain unnamed, <laughs> brings by a, their latest, okay, uh, you know, wet dream, right? And uh, and then I have them. Then I have wet dreams. I mean, it's just, <laughs> that stuff is wicked. Yes. Yeah. The uh, from an the, engineering standpoint, absolutely. You know. I mean, combining. Anybody who's getting scared of supercars working with electric powertrains? Oh no, that doesn't need to be. I, I, I did the I did, did a, a Toyota. Pardon me. <laughs> Forgive me, BMW. <laughs> I did a BMW uh, vehicle of evaluation on the Hydrogen Seven, and also on a Seven Series Hybrid. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to re- remember what they ca- called it or how they badged it. Twin turbo four liter gasoline engine, about thirty kW of electric, maybe forty kW electric motor. Those combined, what a rocket! You drive around the planet, yeah, and have fun. And and they then you take it to the level of sophistication, you just laid out, yeah. And it's like, if you're not doing hybrid, you're not in the game, right? I'm right. talking about performance, sure, absolutely. Uh, the Corvette. We'll leave that alone. But. Sure. Which is probably wise yeah. at this stage. I mean, uh, I think a hybrid Corvette is 15 years out. I'd rather see an all-wheel drive Corvette. How about yeah. a diesel Corvette? Everybody's still wait- well, everybody's still waiting on a, a mid-mounted Corvette. <laughs> There's going to be a diesel Corvette. <laughs> nice. But it prob- probably will not come from GM. It might come from banks, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. yeah. That'd be sweet. Um, moving on from new car stuff, though, uh, because it's time to dive into the world. Of Gail Banks, since we have you here. Um, this isn't a story about a man who makes diesel trucks go quicker. It's far more than that. Gail, you started out tinkering with cars and engines de- destined to go faster. Uh, you also had a desire to apply your skills to marine motors. Vehicles on the Strip and out on the H2O had an advantage when running Banks engines and mm-hmm. Banks parts. From 1976 through 1981, Banks-powered boats took home world championship wins. Over the next 16 years, another championship wins unfolded. Eventually, the damn engines were banned. That's when you that's know right. you're doing something very wonderful in motorsports. <laughs> I mean, that's all. If they, someone comes to you and says, uh, "This is too good," we're banning your stuff. That's got to feel great. Actually, they banned the concept of turbocharging. Okay, yeah, but but you pioneered it for well, marine well, engines. And, in the marine engines, I was the only guy, right? So, so I mean, that's they're yeah. basically aiming at you there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You also had tons of on-land records that started earlier than the boat stuff, uh, but then the championship wins. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your, your earliest speed records to, up to the streamliner stuff? Sure, yeah. Uh, my earliest hot rodding was my mother's, my mother's car. <laughs> I think that's 30, how it 31 starts, Ford. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad said, hey, uh, put a head gasket in that for your mother. This is a 31 Ford Model A, 40 horsepower. To the listeners, it doesn't sound like much. Uh, but by the time I was done putting the head gasket, it, w- it was overhead valve. Uh, I'd built my first header. Uh, it, it had two Winfield carburetors on it. It had an Iskandarian cam, and it had been bored uh, without mercy and, and had uh, Jan's pistons in it to any of the older listeners uh, Maybe there's one or two out there. Uh, they might recollect what this was, but I took it from 40 horsepower to 105 oh horsepower. <laughs> yeah, and uh, very light car, and it ran, ran with the production cars of that time, even though it was decades old. On what bicycle tires? Yeah, <laughs> every, every, the tire. Uh, 
I changed the wheels and tires okay. on it. Yeah. Right. But the but the bottom line was guys were putting early model Chryslers in them. I didn't do do that. I wanted to hot rod what was there. Nor could could I afford to do the early model Chrysler. But I fell in love with, with Raymond Lowy's fifty three Studebaker Starlight Coupe, which looked looked like it came from another dimension. Yeah. In nineteen fifty three or late fifty two when it came out, uh, that that to me that thing was a dart. And I, and I and I had to make one go fast, and there were a few of my friends as well, uh, and ultimately uh, I made one of them go um, 232 miles an hour. At which <laughs> at which point the thing the tail wants to fly, and yeah. the front becomes the back, and the back becomes the front. When you do that at Bonneville, usually you don't have enough side bite to roll the car. Oh, okay, but I went through five drivers before before I found one who. Once they'd spun the car, would get back in it. Nice. So, you know, we made spin-out badges. We stuck in the rear window, you know, like a fighter ace that shot down somebody. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, there were nine of, nine of them by the time we retired the car. That is an exciting ride. Yeah. It was the world's fastest passenger car uh, for about two years, wow. 78 to 80. That's awesome. Yeah. 217 was our two-way average. That's crazy. Yeah. That's fast. Well, anything over two, it used to be a big de- big deal today. You can just buy a car and do it. That's true. You don't even have to build the car. Right. No. So, yeah. We started doing 200-mile-an-hour streetcars in 1982, Firebirds. Yeah. With uh, We did a 700-horse twin-turbo engine that kept all the power steering and air conditioning, all the creature comforts. Uh, but but we had one on the cover of Car and Driver, June of '84. The bright red one, right? Yeah, yeah, they were mostly red. That's red and black are my car colors. Anyhow, not not on the same car though. Uh, it's either black or it's all red. I like monochrome. So we were doing. You, you, you were talking about this new Corvette uh, a little while ago. Our cars uh, and I built. Close to 80 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably they were the first tuner cars. In the early 80s, I, I had never heard the term tuner car. Yeah, everybody was just uh, hot-rotting before that. Yeah, right? yeah, but what we did was we took brand-new cars uh, off the agency lot and made them a world cl- into supercars, world-class. So when Car and Driver uh, finally had to build a complete – we did the interior – We we did the suspension. We did everything, uh, full powertrain, cooling system, fuel system, on and on, 200-mile-an-hour uh, speedo, 8,000 RPM tack, five-speed manuals, dual-disc cl- dual cl- uh, clutch setups, all of, all of that. These things would run, run the qu- quarter mile right at 130 miles an hour in the quarter. That's crazy. Uh, and we set the record on car and driver's slalom course. Um, we had the fastest car tested by 41 miles an hour <laughs> at the time. 41? Yeah, the, the fastest street car, I think, was 163. That would be any magazine yeah. at that time. Uh, we went 204 out of Mrs. Urquhart's wow. driveway. Ugh. You know, drove it out, drove it back. Right. Got about 14 miles to a gallon, which is good for That's a supercar. Yeah. yeah. And it was a 700-horse twin-turbo Small block Chevy, and uh, I mean they were just brutal. That's amazing. 
also foxy looking. <laughs> Today you can go to any trailer park and find ten or twelve of them. <laughs> yes, you, you know. Can. <laughs> but but at the time it was the most aerodynamic aerodynamic car ever built. Now, uh, now it's still damn good, by the way. You've also had a lot of involvement at the uh, manufacturer level. You were involved with the Cyclone. Yeah, the Cyclone. Well, yeah. Started with Volvo. We did a. A turbo package for Volvo in 1976, uh, and it was the inline five. It was no, it was their B21 red okay. block, uh, single overhead cam, as I recall. And um, they gave me a contract to do a 244 turbo. They did a 242 and a 244 were the sedans, and so we did it, and. Uh, Thus built the first electronic fuel-injected O2 sensing closed-loop emission system turbo engine on the planet. What year was that? 1976. Wow. That's very Nobody had the O2 sensor because it wasn't even introduced. It was a Bosch and Volvo development. Now the O2 sensor is everywhere in the world. Yeah. But... And, and it's a performance tool, you, you know, wideband O2 sensors, air-fuel ratio, getting it right. That makes everything reliable and powerful or fuel-efficient, whatever your bag is. Yeah. So we did the Volvo. Uh, they came out with the cars in like 80, 81, first in Europe and then here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they st- I, I, I don't think they've missed a year since then offering turbocharging. Yeah. And, of course, Saab caught on to it. They're now gone, but they turbo, turbocharged 100% of their engines for decades. Uh, then came Buick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm getting to the cyclone. It'll take me a minute. <laughs> uh, but then came Buick. Um, Bu- Buick had discontinued. Let me preface this. In 1973, we had a fuel crunch. Uh, apparently, we helped Israel uh, with a war uh, in the Middle East, and uh, the people they were fighting were the people uh, that were supplying us a lot of oil. And they were upset because we helped Israel. So they, in effect, cut off our oil, Mm -hmm. uh, and it crippled the country and the economy. So everybody was finally shocked with the reality uh, that we had this finite resource, and fuel efficiency became the order of the day. the emissions people were starting to get traction. Uh, and I'm a futurist. I, I don't deny or, or I don't stick my head in the sand and try, try to be backward and, mm-hmm. and remove emissions of equipment. I just live with it. You right. know? Uh, so the turbocharger is a great tool towards an ultimate end, which is fuel efficiency, low emissions, and power when you on demand. Well, Buick kind of painted themselves into a corner because they discontinued their V8, which was as big as 455 cubic inches, right? and replaced it with a 3.8-liter V6 that was designed in 1950s and sold, sold by the tooling was sold. It was down in South America, and they bought the tooling back and resurrected in the 70s an engine wow. designed in the 50s. Made about 135 horsepower or so. Way, to let, it, way to let their engineers really well, explore. <laughs> it's like, 
if you've got a small capable engine, that's fine. But they had a small incapable engine. Right. <laughs> and they snagged the bid for the Indy pace car in 1977. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So they're building this pace car, and they go over to the speedway, and they've got this V6, and the USAC guys laughed them off the track. They said... <laughs> You know, the roadsters will run you down at the start of the race. Yeah. You won't be able to get out of the way. <laughs> Go away and and come back when you have some power. Well, there, were, there was a company local here to where we're doing the podcast called Garrett or Air Research at yep. the time. Yep. And a buddy of mine, Walt Ware, was running it. He sent them some turbo product. They started working on it, but they had no turbo people at Buick. So it didn't work well. And there were failing engines and not getting the power they wanted. And so I get this call from Walt, and he says, you're going to Flint, Michigan with me, and we're going to solve Buick's problem. I said, hey, I didn't even know Buick had a problem. Right. <laughs> you know, he says, you're the turbo installation and engine guy. I'm the turbo manufacturing guy. We're going to Flint, and you're going with me because I want to make my customer happy. Because there might be future business for me. So it's all, all about the profit motive. Anyhow, we go to Flint, and thing, things were wrong. Uh, they had a boost gauge, a huge boost gauge, and a huge exhaust back pressure gauge. <laughs> I mean, like five-inch dials. It's stuff you'd see in a steam plant somewhere making electricity. <laughs> and they, they had them in, in the center of the instrument panel. And I sit in the car and I go, "Oh man, those are those are cool. What what kind of numbers do you get?" And it's like, "Oh, we get seven pounds of boost." And I says, "Well, what about the exhaust, the turbine inlet pressure? What guys call drive pressure?" Oh, that's in the high twenties. I said, I, "I I got a solution for your problem because you got so much back pressure, the engine ought to run backwards." So. <laughs> What you need is four speeds in reverse. Right. <laughs> so, anyhow, they didn't think that was too funny. But yeah. We figured it out. Uh, and the other little problem they had uh, was the exhaust temperature going into the turbocharger. I noticed that the spark plug wires were, were about the size of a one-inch garden hose or a fire hose Jeez. with insulation. Wow. I said, oh my God, what's with all that asbestos? Yeah. You know, <laughs> a couple of guys coughed. <laughs> uh, we we uh, were melting spark plug wires. I had, oh, I says, it gets hot, huh? How hot does it get? Well, we melted the tips off of some thermal couples, but finally found some. I said, what's the number? The guy says, it's around 2,200 degrees. Oh, Jesus. Man. So being the wise ass I am, I said, you can throw away the headlights and just drive off the glow. <laughs> you know, it's just... <laughs> So, anyhow, got it resolved. They paced the Indy 500 with a turbo regal, and it led to production. Uh, Lloyd Royce was the chief engineer at Buick at the time, and uh, in the year I, I was associated with Buick, Buick, he went to Chevy as chief engineer and then came back and was general manager. And we did, at that time, a, a prototype regal where, where, where I twin-turboed the 3.8, and it was 454 horsepower at 7,200 RPM. Wow. Uh, so you had a really quick and fast yeah. uh, prototype c car. Uh, and uh, I met Lloyd at the Beverly Hills Hotel with the car 
for a 15 minute drive and we got back seven hours later. I mean, that's how much he liked. Yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. And that led, that car led to the Grand National, which is a cult car today. Yes. And then the ultimate statement of the Grand National was the uh, GNX. Absolutely. With a really special turbo package in it. Didn't that have a pretty big turbo on it? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a larger, the unique part of that turbo was it had a ceramic turbine wheel. Okay. That makes a, the rotating mass in a turbocharger uh, is like a rotating mass in a flywheel. To okay. speed it up takes time. So the lighter you can make that, mm-hmm. uh, the quicker the turbo responds. Right. Because uh, nobody was doing like variable geometry stuff back then. No, there wasn't any VG back then. And with gasoline, there's not a lot of VG now because the temps are so high. I think, I think Porsche has a VG application out mm-hmm. in this production. Yeah. But other than that... Uh, Variable geometry kicks it in the ass. But the, th- the thing that low mass, some guys are doing ball bearings. Uh, that's almost hard to document, you know, to change in the frictional loss. Ball, bearing, ball bearings are usually in turbos where they have a lot of thrust, ax- axial thrust load, and that, that resolves that. So our deal, we, we do uh, turbos we call sidewinders, that are ultra low mass, mm-hmm. and and they're incredibly responsive, and we've been doing that for w- way back to the Firebirds and Camaros in the early eighties. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. turbo lag is basically not the issue anymore. Interesting. Yeah, getting getting the tires to hook is the issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on the street. Well, that's especially. why. That's why. That's why all wheel drive is so. Yeah, I was going to say so Cyclone sweet. was all wheel drive. Yeah, the problem with the Buick was it's nice we segue, had, Jeff. We had a lot of we had a we had a lot of uh, issues with wheel spin. Um, so the cyclone story is a really kind of a unique deal in that it started with a call from a guy named John Rock. He he had taken over GMC truck division and um, wanted to do sport trucks and and he had a diesel pickup he was selling that uh, he he. Ford had come with one, and uh, Dodge was doing the Cummins deal upcoming. Uh, at, at that time, nobody was using a turbocharger on their diesel engines. So he hired me to to do a cooperative pro- program where banks turbocharging. I just realized something. <laughs> we had the first production diesel, turbo diesel pickups oh, okay. were banks turbocharged. Nice. Yeah, and <clears throat> Suburbans. Oh, we, we, in 1987, 88, and 89, uh, um, you, you could buy those with a Banks Sidewinder what Turbo size were those, System. Six twos or five. They were six twos. Six two. Yeah, they were six twos. Uh, anyhow, uh, we helped them a lot because we got a lot of TV and press. Where the, their engine was old news right. by 1986. Yeah. And, uh, so they were even considering. Shutting down the diesel engine plant and not having a diesel pickup. Wow. That would have been a very bad... Well, you know they've come a long way then now when well, they're to offer a cruise diesel. To, 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 well, the diesel cruise. I got I to have my way with a diesel cruise. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. I want to I screw with a Ford Focus as well. Yeah. Anything with a turbo. Uh, so the, the Cyclone, he, he wanted to do a 200-mile-an-hour pickup truck. Mickey Thompson had the record 
at 144 with get this with a jeep pickup truck oh geez why jeep did that i have no idea <laughs> or, come on, or how they would even market it uh those I've never even seen a Jeep pickup truck. They, 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 they were Comanches, and they were before that. Was they're rare. My brother will have them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't. I've seen them in pictures. But could you get but, them as diesels? No, 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 no. Yeah, no. They just did a special diesel. No, no, it wasn't a diesel. Oh, okay. Mickey Thompson never ran diesel. Oh, okay. They uh, just went for a speed yeah, record. Gotcha. Yeah, but he, he did a lot of speed records. Yes. So anyhow, I had to break Mickey's record. <laughs> so I'm going. I'll take one of my offshore engines. They were worried about bringing the press to the salt flats to witness it and blowing the engine while oh. they were doing it. So I said, look, I'll, I'll take one of my offshore engines. They'll go hundreds of miles at wide open throttle, right. make about 930 horsepower. <laughs> we'll pull off the wet water-cooled manifolding, header the thing out, race style. And the damn thing, you know, I mean, there were 460-inch, 462-inch big block Chevys thing will go 200 on the starter motor you know <laughs> put it in a half ton short bed chevy pickup right with, with a standard cab and and we'll put it in the wind tunnel and arrow it out and uh we'll go two plus yeah so we go to this corporate meeting where all the divisions are there and they're talking about marketing and how they're going to cooperate with each other and boost each other up and the guy guys from chevy go could we did styling drawings. A friend of mine, David Stollery, is a screamingly good automotive stylist. Uh, did the renderings. We did underhood layouts, the whole thing of how this thing, this thing would look. And we're sitting in this meeting, and a guy from Chevy go, "You know, you guys only have seventeen percent of the corporate truck market. Why don't you guys do the little truck, the S fifteen and if anybody's going to build a serious performance pickup truck, it's going to be Chevrolet with a big block. Mm -hmm. So I'm going. I'm back to V6s. And I didn't want to do it. Right. And uh, But I at least get a, uh, to turbo it. So we, we, we hadn't called the thing Cyclone at that point. It was a S15 turbo or whatever. We go to Bonneville with it, and it's a 5-liter V6 no turbos, because the marketing guy, uh, Rick Lee at GMC, went, we don't sell a turbo p p pickup. I've been thinking about this, and, Gail, I want it to look like you. You just went down to a GMC dealer and bought a truck, and then <laughs> any, anybody could do this. I says, oh, my God. <laughs> so I did intercool it because it gets real hot up there. So right. I, I used ice water to, to chill a couple of intercooling heat exchangers. And picked up, I call it the poor man's turbo system. Yeah. <laughs> no turbo. Right. And, uh, but, but it picked up 5% on, on the air density, and that may, meant 5% more horsepower. So we go up there. We go 194 two-way. So we really got it covered. Uh, then GMC, two Learjets. You guys would, would love this. Uh, being journalists, how, how about they, they come and get you in the Learjet? That's nice. And you you know meet them at Van Nuys, and you you go to window one airport, and then then you get to meet Banks, right. who's who's your tour guide, <laughs> and, and he tour guides your butts out to the salt flats and tells you 
where not to take pictures because we might run over you and kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, everybody obeys. <laughs> and we go the – but we'd already set the record. They wanted it in the can. And then we, they wanted me to up the record, which we did. We kept pushing it. And finally, I did a one-way of 199. Without a turbo still? No turbos. Uh, just this 4.3 liter poked and stroked. Oof. And – there was a piston on the spark plugs. You know, when I get aluminum deposited on the ground strap of the plug, I know it won't pee another drop. Yeah. That's it. I've tuned it to the limit. Um, they're happy, uh, uh, one way of 199, but they're not really happy. They're they're Hollywood happy. Okay. You know, glad to see you. Love you, babe. I'll call you. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're happy, Gail. Don't be disappointed you didn't go 200. I said, it's not me that. Yeah. It's the engine. It won't go 200. And our goal was 175 anyway. Oh. We had dropped the goal with the V6 right. o- over the V8. Call me in the winter, like January. This guy, we've got the heads off the engine. And did you know you damaged the pistons? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah. <laughs> now you get it, huh? <laughs> you, <laughs> We didn't want to blow an engine in front of the press. Right. But let, let's spin it faster. Let's get a better cylinder head. If you want 200, it's doable. So we went back and we, we did a two-way of 204 the next year. By then, we were calling it the Cyclone. Okay. And uh, that was an interesting deal because Ford had a trademark, a Cyclone. I think they did a Comet Cyclone oh, or really? something. Yeah. And so I'm saying to this guy, Rick Lee, I said, Rick. You can't call it Cyclone. Ford has that name. And he goes, we'll spell it with an S. Fuck him. <laughs> and I you know it. what? I kind of went, I kind of went, man, this guy's a risk taker. I'm yeah. going to hang with him. He's, I yeah. like this guy. I, I want to party with this guy. Moxie. Yeah. 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 He's, he's willing to take on Ford Motor Company. That is awesome. Holy mackerel. Spell it with an S. Yeah. Yeah. And they spelled it with an S. We went. Now the thing has got a pedigree. So we can do a street truck. And the stock 4.3 had no oats. Right. So they d- decided, well, we've got to turbocharge it. Yes. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> so how I finally got my day in <laughs> right. court. And uh, it's an, those things are really cool. Uh, Jay, Len- Jay Leno has one. I never kept one. No. It's another car I don't fit in. So, <laughs> so the, but, but Jay, I can go over to Jay's and touch one. Uh, once in a while. Cyclone came before Typhoon then? Yeah, Typhoon was the second year. It was a four-door version of the Cyclone. Uh, I can't remember what that thing was called in stock form. But I think it was just a Blazer. It was the Jimmy, yeah, yeah Jimmy. Okay. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, right. Jimmy, whatever yeah. they call it. The The point was Chevy comes out with a SS454 in 1990, and that and that's Chevy's big gun. Yeah. And it's got a 230-horse motorhome engine in it. You know, big block. Right. No, just nothing. Yeah. Three-speed automatics. Th- top speed of like 87 miles an hour. Right. People buzzed out. Cause Literally. Because they, yeah. they put like a 410 gear in it. Oh, God. So it, oh, it had no performance anywhere. Right. Yeah, people bought it because they liked the, the stickers on the tail. And a Cyclone, <laughs> just gone. That thing smokes you know, Ferrari 308. All, all the guy in the SS454 saw... Was the dust right? And, uh, and and you could hot rod the snot out of a cyclone. I bet. 
I mean, there were really good uh, splay valve cylinder heads that got developed for road racing you could put in. You, you could get a cyclone up into the six or 700 horsepower range, and they don't weigh anything. Now, so, now speaking of trucks and power, yeah, I want to bring us to the modern day. You guys just worked on something that I think is one of the most insane huh. vehicles on the planet right yes, now. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the full title for this is the Banks Super Turbo Pikes Peak Freightliner. Freightliner. Right. This driven by Mike Ryan at Freightliner. Yeah, yeah, I think Freightliner is a better yeah, name. That's, that's the Halloween good. library. Yeah. He invented that just just now. So <laughs> it's, it's the Mike Ryan Freightliner. Um, yeah. This thing's insane. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in the engine and explain what a Super Turbo is too, please? Yeah, a Super Turbo, not a new idea. Uh but not a lot of people have done it. And it's, I'm force-feeding a turbo, which is so large we've named it Kong, <laughs> uh, with a supercharger, 8.3-liter twin-screw supercharger, <laughs> which oh. means, uh, I, th- I think I'm correct in this, it displaces 8.3 liters per revolution of the, of the blower. Is that not right, Gil? So imagine that times 11,000 RPM, and you have a lot of airflow. The two together will make 185 pounds of boost. Good Lord. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then tell us about the engine it's attached to. Well, yeah. The whole idea of the super turbo is derived from a uh, boat project. Okay. Where I wanted to get a big, heavy, uh, like a race boat, but heavier than that. Uh, up on plane real quick with with a pair of uh, 700-plus horse diesel marine engines. Okay. Well, the, there you, you've got, like, Cummins engines, 5.9 liter. Uh, I, I did a marine design on 10 years ago. Two of them in a boat with these huge turbochargers, and they're a little lazy out of the hole. Uh, is part of the problem too that they're usually situated near the back of the boat? Does that affect? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. They're, the 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 boat is down at the tail. Yeah. Because the the engine mass is at the rear of the boat, so it's hard to get the boat on top. And and my customer wanted to resolve that, but they didn't have any budget to resolve it. So I I did a couple of my V eight, uh, Banks V eight. Well, I call those Gale Banks Marine Diesels. Okay. And. Um, we put a supercharger on there, the 2300 Eaton mm-hmm. uh, rotor set, and we built the housings and everything for it and the blower drive. And it blows in, on the marine engine a pair of turbos. So the thing comes out of the hole like it's on fire because of the blower, right. the supercharger. And then we kind of take the, that offline mm-hmm. so it's not real parasitic. And we now have two mid-range to top-end Perfect matched turbochargers, and the boat is just gone. I, I mean, it's incredibly fast. Now, is 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 super so turbo? So su- super this, turbo. Is it the same as twin charging, or in twin charging does the supercharger stay online? Because uh, I'm trying to remember who did it. Uh, well, I think it was like a little hot hatch. That it was a Nissan Pulsar GTIR back in the 80s. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. Also, Volkswagen did a 1.4 liter in Europe. Uh, with a little tiny, like a or a little polo? tiny, about the size of a, of a large apple. I mean, this <laughs> it, 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 it's it's like uh, a supercharger you can wear as jewelry. Nice. I mean, it's so small and and a turbo on a 1.4 liter, quite successful, okay. very responsive. I th- 
I think it's now out of production. Mm. So basically, there's various ways of doing it. Uh, some guys leave the thing online. Some take it off. Uh, some guys use turbos to blow into the supercharger. Right. Uh, in, in the aftermarket, you, mm-hmm. you see guys screwing with it. What, what I wanted was something that would run thousands of hours, not thousands of feet. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I, I take the thing offline and make it fuel efficient. So we we tested a pair in a boat a couple of years ago, and wow. So I'm running Pikes Peak because I'm, I wanted to duplicate the altitude you find in Afghanistan for some of the defense work I was right, doing. Right, okay. And I, I had a customer, uh, Leonard Arnold's his name, lives in Colorado Springs, and he owned a project that, uh, called Dallenbach Racing. Yeah, Paul, Paul Dallenbach. Paul Dallenbach. Yep. So we all three... Leonard, Paul, and myself got together, and we took him from 650 horse with his open-wheel, unlimited car with a Lola transaxle mm-hmm. behind the mid-mounted engine. Uh, this quite a fast car, and we took it to 1,307 Oof. two years ago with two turbos and stayed on the same fuel, which is methanol. I embarrassed everything south of the flywheel. <laughs> you know, it just became the least reliable car on Pike's Peak. Yeah. But damn damn fast right. before it broke things. <laughs> and so we had a uh, learning year, and then, and then we went back. We, we were right at 1,400 horsepower the second year, and Paul went off. Yep, I remember that. Uh, at about a buck 40 into yeah. the trees. So it wasn't Paul's fault. Uh, so the bottom line was I met Mike Ryan. I, I'd known him before, but we became dear friends because uh, I kind of hung out with his crew and him. And He's a legend, uh, Hollywood <laughs> stunt coordinator, right. Hollywood stunt man uh, for decades. He is, in the driving world, uh, he, he's one of the best-kept secrets outside of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's running this truck. 14-liter Detroit Diesel 60 Series engine, which came out of a boat. It's a (laughs) 825-horse marine engine, uh, and we did the super turbo on it because he had a compounded turbo setup like tractor-pulling guys run. Uh, They're slow to respond. They make a lot of boost once they're lit off, but there's all this diesel smoke in the air. And I've always been... This people in the Midwest question my sexuality for two reasons. The first one is my name, Gail, uh, and, the, and, the, and I had a lot of fights in school. And, and you either man up or you right, know. right. It's boy named Sue, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the boy named Sue syndrome. Uh, so back to back back to this project, and I see all this smoke smoke in the air, and I go. He just started the thing. Right. <laughs> Look at the smoke. And then he comes up to the line and he leaves it. smoke and off every turn. Yeah. Smoke. I mean, blot out the sun smoke. <laughs> I'm talking black. Right. And I'm going, doesn't anybody here realize that's horsepower? <laughs> that's fuel you injected in, in the engine. 
God intends you to use the fuel in the engine, not right. pass it through the engine right. for, for some effect. Uh, a lot of guys think that plume coming out of that stack on the tractor pull is manhood. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not having that problem. I, I want to I get there first and win the deal. Right. You know, so I'm going to use that fuel in the engine. I told him, I, I said, we did this Marine deal. It worked. I want to do it on your truck. Yeah. We shook hands, and that was the deal. Nice. So we super turboed the truck uh, and 2,400 horsepower, uh, up, up the RPM from 2,100 to 2,800, <laughs> which is mind-bending if you're a truck guy. <laughs> and, and uh, you, you know, I, I run small block Chevys at 11,000 RPM, so I, 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 I'm underwhelmed by that's idle speed, <laughs> and and uh, but the thing comes off the turns with no smoke, it rips off the turns, uh, it's more fuel efficient, and then we started screwing with methanol or methanol and wa- water injection, only managing managing it like uh, an ECU, like a fuel injection system on an engine, mm-hmm. rather than crudely just turning it on or turning sure. it off, and. Uh, we call that straight shot. So I did a straight shot water meth inject, injection into the blower inlet, which cools the air as it's being compressed mm-hmm. in, the, in the blower. And there, that way I can give uh, air to the turbocharger without passing it through an intercooler. Remember, volume, if you have a lot of volume in the system, it slows it down. People call that turbo lag, okay. but it's not the turbo's fault. It's the designer's fault. <laughs> you don't want a lot of air volume between the compressor and the intake valve. Right. It softens the response of the engine. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a road racing ten thousand two hundred pound <laughs> mid engine. <laughs> I love that semi. Yeah. I mean, honest to God, the you you open the nose of the vehicle, and there's no engine there. Right. And the driving position is like six feet off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and it's carbon fiber and it's fiberglass. Right. But we had 400 pounds. It, it's almost a, it's it's the effect of an afterburner. When when you get the water to meth going into the engine, we pre-cool into the blower. We direct inject in all six intake ports. This is an inline six engine, so it's automatic. It's not a push to pass button. Right. It just happens. It, once he gets enough vehicle speed. Right. Because. Thing spins the tires. We we lay two hundred and some feet of rubber, just coming out of the hole, and it's got these big sticky race rubber yes. Michelin super singles. Yep. Uh, so is it is it a similar so, idea as to what like people on the like teenagers are doing on the street with like nitrous? Similar idea, different way of going about. Well, it. nitrous is more oxygen, uh, and it it gives you some intercooling. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite performance tools, nitrous oxide. Uh, but this, the oxygen requirement is handled by this massive supercharger and okay. this massive Kong turbocharger. Right. Uh, we've got the oxygen nailed. Here we're using the water methanol uh, to, to give you a more air density. In okay. other words, more oxygen per cubic foot of air. And also the methanol is a secondary fuel. Oh, wow. So you get all these positive effects with it. 
we've, we've also found we're reducing emissions in street, street engines. We did a BMW, uh, that twin turbo inline three liter six. Yeah. Uh, we did the gas that one, right? Yeah, gas yeah. one. If, People associate me with two things, turbocharging if you're older and diesel if you're younger. Mm-hmm. But I never stopped gasoline. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's why I want, want to get a hold of the Focus and the, the little Chevy. Yeah. The, uh, cruise. the cruise. And I think they do a version that's all electric called a Spark. Yeah, they have a yeah, Spark they have EV. A spark EV. They, they even have a Focus EV as well. You know what's really cool? I go to the L.A. Auto Show. Uh, Lloyd Royce's son, Mark Royce. Mm-hmm. Lloyd became the president of General Motors, and then they had a palace coup, and he and the chairman of the board were ousted, uh, and, and they brought in some non-car guys, right. and uh, the rest is history. Uh, but now his son has his dad's job. That's so wicked cool, I can't cool. even yeah. tell you about no, that's it. That's cool. And I, I, he did the spark introduction at the L.A. Auto Show, and Hundreds of press. I waited out all of them because that's business. Yeah. You know, he's being interviewed. And I walk up to him and he looks at me and he says, Hey, Gail, how you doing? <laughs> I went, I, I, I kind of went, I sent some t shirts to him, you know, back in the 70s. Right. <laughs> His dad asked for some Banks t shirts. Nice. And I walk up to him like decades later. I never met him back then. That's funny. And he knows who the hell I am. That was one of the biggest compliments I've ever had in my life. I admire his style. He yeah. is running the company well. He's he, making some good moves. He's making his dad proud. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And someday, if I have ever a kid, hopefully he'll aspire to be a podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Some, someday he'll also well, be an auto You know what? You know what? Uh, there's money to be made. There's people Hopefully to be pleased find that money yeah, um, yeah. But it's funny it's funny you bring up the modern cars because i wanted to ask your, your your opinion on this it seems like diesel popularity is growing right now uh volkswagen which you know is is doing some great things yes. audi is doing some great things bmw and mercedes are not as involved as them but they have some pretty cool diesel they projects. have offerings here now that chevy's bringing it back and jeep as well jeep's bringing it back but even and even japanese market mazda's bringing one infinity's talking about one i mean it seems like everybody's realizing what diesel can do. Yeah, and and there's, I think, Honda did a four-cylinder all-aluminum diesel that they were selling in Great Britain and elsewhere. They never brought it here. Hmm. Uh, you know, the economic... Every, everybody was on the diesel track pretty much worldwide. Yeah. And then we had this bust in the, in the economy. And those were risky prop- propositions compared to the status quo. So a lot of them pulled back. Like uh, Ford was doing a 4.4-liter V8 diesel uh, for Rover and also f- for their own consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built a uh, – I think it's Chihuahua, Mexico. They built a plant, plant to build that engine, which is a ghost town. Uh, they do – to honor a commitment to uh, Rover, I think they're building a okay. few of them for them. Uh, GM did a 4.5-liter, and uh, they – Trash the tooling when the mm-hmm. economy went south. So the major thing about diesel is the environmentalists and the regulators have pushed diesel technology in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my friends in, in the engine business uh, would really disagree with me. But we'd have no electronic fuel-injected diesels if we just left them alone. Sure. 
and uh, it's a huge component, uh, especially the particulates of yeah, they're damaging. Today, uh, all these diesels you've talked about, the domestic ones and the ones coming from Europe, uh, the Italian engines that are going into the Jeep Grand Cherokee 2014 uh, Ram 1500 and elsewhere uh, under under that Fiat ownership, mm-hmm. uh, those engines. I I am also I'm the other part of that V6 VM Motori based engine mm-hmm. program. I do the industrial uh, and the marine side of them. Okay, so. I'm real familiar with that V6 engine and also f- familiar with, you know, Volkswagen has one. Uh, there are other V6 diesels out yeah. there. They're all three liter. Uh, they all turn high RPM and are lightweight uh, and super responsive, very cool. Diesels t- today put out less particulate emissions than gasoline vehicles. Right. They're that clean. Yeah. So... It's just the technology cost. And finally... You buy a diesel car or truck, it costs you a bit more for the engine. Right. But finally, too, um, Volkswagen, you and I were talking about this, has figured out a way to even get around using the AdBlue. Yeah. Yeah. Urea. Yeah. Uh, and no, you cannot pee in the gas tank and get the same effect. <laughs> no, you're going to buy the, a $10 the, bottle. The, yeah. And go fill it up. So the urea... You can pee in a $10 bottle. <laughs> the, the, the urea is part of the after treatment and to me i'd rather clean up the emissions in cylinder right than treat them afterwards because after treatment is costly mm-hmm. and um, usually hurts performance and i'm talking about all forms of performance yeah efficiency and power mm-hmm. so the deal of, of, of treating them in cylinder we're finding this darn methanol water thing we're doing we can knock down emissions in cylinder advance the timing, and get hugely better fuel efficiency. Wow. What they did with the 2-liter TDI Volkswagen product and slash Audi Mm -hmm. uh, is they did something very costly. They put a cylinder pressure sensor in each of the glow plugs, and that's rocket science. (laughs) I mean, we do that in, in the engine dyno cells. That's a development tool. Norbert Krause at Volkswagen had his team use that tool to reduce emissions and therefore know whatever you call it, have blue or yeah. blue tech or whatever. No urea is necessary. That's very cool with the TDI product, the four-cylinder. Speaking of TDI, you guys drove here and something that I think looks pretty cool, your, your, your Banks-tuned Jetta TDI wagon. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what's going on? Under yeah. There? What I'm doing there is I'm, I'm cheating the glow plug system. And I did the keynote speech at uh, Ward's, does a 10 best engine award every year, mm-hmm. Ward's Automotive. And they usually presented it in a huge auditorium at the Detroit Auto Show. Uh, this one was in the Rensense. So I did the keynote, 45 minutes of hear, hearing about my life. Uh, apparently they enjoyed it because uh, they didn't kick me off the stage or hook me. <laughs> and and um, first awardee was Norbert. And um, I, I came down off the stage. The Ward's guys are up there. They call Norbert up. 
in my presentation, I'd shown some pictures of that TDI wagon and also a, a, a clone of the TDI cup cars that they were road oh, right. racing yep. at the time. I built one of those. And uh, we, as, as far as handling on the street, those things handle yeah. very well. So I cheated that uh, system, uh, kind of lied to it, and I get four or five seconds of, of enhanced power, which is great, great for coming out of the hole or coming <laughs> off the turns. And then it, it senses I'm there, and it cuts me out of the game. Mm-hmm. But every time I lift a throttle, I get to do it again. <laughs> and usually, you know, like in a zero to 60 or just a little duke out with some cat uh, – coming on the freeway and right. it's two lanes to one and yeah. you blow them off of your Volkswagen. Uh, it, it gives me a, a additional horsepower. I estimate 45 to 50 additional horsepower. Wow. And a whole lot of torque. Yeah. So the thing just leaves. And then I mean, Wilf, Wilford Eibach helped help me with the springs and stuff to lower it. Okay. Give, give it the right spring rates. And we basically made a TDI wagon road racer. That is awesome. And it is awesome. And it still gets good fuel economy, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, coming down Highway 99 in Central California, 85 miles an hour, and I'm over 40 miles per gallon at 85 miles an hour. See incredible. that, people? It is you do not It blows need, my mind. You do not need to buy a Prius. No. <laughs> well, Everybody listening, you don't need a Prius. Well, wait a minute. There's no creature protection in a Prius. You're the creature. Yeah. And you can roll one of those in a ball like wadding up tinfoil. Yeah. And I feel so superior and smug, you know, when I go past <laughs> Which is ironic considering we're talking about Priuses. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You should, too. Well, they have a smug emblem on their sleeve that, that, that you get when you buy a Prius. Right. You get a righteous badge. Yes. So, and you can feel real good about yourself. You're still build, burning a fossil fuel. Right. And it's not noticeably better than the, than the wagon. No. But They've probably just got you around town. There's no creature comforts in a Prius. No, they're very barren cars. They're just barren is right. My, wife, yeah. my they, wife has one that she got as a company car, and I, I hate riding it. Well, <laughs> it's, they've, they've given up a lot in terms of mass yeah. to give you what they want to give you, which is, and they are the number one selling brand in California right now. Yeah. So somebody's buying the hell out of them. Absolutely. See, everybody that's not us, essentially everybody that's not us. Um, but you want to have a real venture, go out drinking with a, with a Prius owner. (laughs) That'll be a stellar evening. What are we drinking? Wheatgrass shots? (laughs) Um, now, moving on to something far more interesting than a Prius, uh, I was recently in your shop, and it's a wonderful place to visit, by the way. Thank you for having me out there. Uh, there's this really cool old 68 Camaro just kind of tucked in the middle of the, one of the garages, sitting in its primer paint on some great HRE wheels, yeah. minus an engine. Yes. What are you stuffing in there? I already know the answer. I just want you to tell uh, everybody. I call, I call that the soldier's car. That's my son's Camaro, the 68 he bought it when he was 15, and uh, he did the body work. Mm-hmm. And then a, uh, a fellow that worked for us, uh, uh, Rick Lefevre, he did a lot of work on it as well. It's not quite ready for paint. Uh, but I talked about wet dreams earlier. <laughs> you know, when you're seven, 70, I'm 
if you have one. What what a welcome thing. Uh, that thing's a wet dream. Yeah. And my wet dream is this: two thousand horsepower on the street. That's crazy. That's streetable, and will go a hundred to hundred fifty thousand miles. My old Firebirds guys try to sell them back to him, to me once in a while. Lot lots of a hundred fifty thousand on one of those. That's crazy. You know. So I'm I'm going. Who do I have to talk to at GM? They make a block called a uh, LSX. Yep. Uh, That's the all aluminum one, right? Well, actually, I think the LSX block is is high density iron. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And and uh, my question is, will it sustain enough cylinder pre- pressure for me to make two thousand horsepower? <laughs> but with this straight shot injection, that's like instant octane. Wow. What prevents us making 2,000 horsepower? The detonation is the first thing, fuel quality. I, I've got a way around that now with, with straight shot. The other thing is the physical strength of the engine. And on the way over here, I was talking to Gil. I'm, I'm putting steel pistons in my 7-liter uh, V8 diesels now. Okay. Uh, and and I've ever heard a Formula One team screwing with steel pistons. Really? Yes, really. Uh, you can make them almost as light as aluminum, but they're way the hell tougher. Yeah. And the the aluminum piston, in my my mind, is is the fuse that you blow. Uh, you you melt them. Right. You do them in mm-hmm. if you're making a lot of cylinder pressure and with a, a lot of cylinder temperature. So what I'm looking at here is a seven liter. LSX, I'm look, looking at various cylinder heads, uh, and I want to make 2,000 horsepower on 91 octane that's streetable and put it in that car yeah. and get Chip Foos to paint the car. There you go. So, and Chip's volunteered repeatedly. So okay. it's, it's one of those deals, and I call it the soldier's car because my son was a combat medic and got pretty banged up. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty well worked himself back to normality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to give away too too much because his friends are probably listening to this podcast. <laughs> and he might be. So I want to give him the best surprise I can give him. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. we don't want to give away too much of that. Yeah. Then. Um, I want to close by talking about another project of yours that is tangentially related to cars. I mean, it's it's... You're building a house. You have yeah. to talk about this. And you've got yeah. building a house in Yosemite. Tell, uh, tell our listeners what the layout plan for the house is. Well, I call it the Yosemite V8. <laughs> uh, and some, it's a timber frame house, mm-hmm. not a log cabin with round logs. These are all milled, all geometric. Yep. Uh, and timber frames are, are like the Amish barns. Yeah, you ever see a documentary yeah. where they're putting up the timbers? A uh, bunch of guys, a bunch of ropes and pulleys. Uh, I like that, but they, in the old uh, teachings, they peg it together with oak pegs or they spline or they dovetail or they do whatever. Mm-hmm. Being a um, car guy, I, I wanted to bring automotive elements into the house and tie all the timbers together with castings, which I antique to look like bronze, but they're aluminum. And the layout of the house is the, is the cool thing. About 15 years ago, I'm up there with, uh, in Yosemite with a wife and kids, and I'm sitting at the table, and, 
in this house we rent for, from some friends. And I sketched out, started sketching, sketching out a, lay, a layout. We had bought this property within mm-hmm. Yosemite. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do? So it hits me. A section through a V8. I wanted to have two wings on the house, like the cylinder banks on a V8 engine. Right. So when you look down on the plan layout of the house and the rooms and everything, you see a V8 crankcase, which is the main room of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you see a fireplace down where the bottom of the oil pan would be. Right. Uh, you see cylinder heads, which is a dining room on one wing and a den on the other. Uh, and then you see the valve covers, which is the kitchen on one wing and a guest bedroom on the other. And the intake manifold is I kind of punched out uh, a porch in the V of the thing and put the entrance to the house there. So the damn thing is a V8 layout. I love it. It's am- yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That's so and- awesome. If you could somehow... Set it so that every time you light your fireplace, it sounds like a Corvette firing up or something. That can be done. <laughs> there you go. That, that, I I, you I'm need, actually yeah. going to run the house off of, off of the iPad Mini. I think you need really? eight. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. You need eight fireplaces, and I'll have to fire in the specific fire. <laughs> one, seven. Yeah, that. that'd be awesome. I'm loving that. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, I only have one, unfortunately. <laughs> but we'll figure it. We'll, that, we'll, we'll I mean, get that, an effect that's, going. That's the ultimate... Uh, Gearhead house right there. That's you know, and, and, and the thing that's so, so remarkable <clears throat> is guys have worked on the house, and I've I've got a really cool guy who's a site carpenter, and I'm the general contractor without a license, so to speak. Uh, after a couple of years, we're looking at plans one day, and he says. Oh my God! Is this thing a V eight? <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, yeah. you didn't have to tell him you yeah. just got it. That's see, there you go. That's perfect. Yeah, that is wonderful. So, see, that, I mean, that's 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 fantastic. Uh, Gail, we're, we're bumping into a little bit of time here, All right. and I don't want to keep you because I know you're a busy man. It's been an honor having you on here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Blake and I have have had uh, we've had our minds schooled by some history and some future tech, and it's been wonderful. Well, all I can say to the guys that are listening and the lady uh, <laughs> is is uh, watch for us. We're going to be out with a back motor, blown V8 diesel dragster. Oh, well, we'll 272 be, inch car. We'll be paying attention to that yeah. for sure. We'll probably hear it from here. And too. it's <laughs> called it's called the Bank Sidewinder. Perfect. So nothing nothing like a diesel with zoomies. That sounds awesome. <laughs> There you go. Everybody stay tuned for the, uh, the, the, the drag racer, and we'll be sure to bring you that. And uh, stay tuned to the next episode of the Hooniverse podcast. We'll talk to you guys later. Again, Mr. Banks, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.